You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. One year ago, the world was bracing for the fall of Kiev. Well, I've just come from a visit to Kiev, and I can report Kiev stands strong. There's no lack of support and commitment in the U.S. government to Ukraine. But there is signs of waning there. It's not as strong as it was a year ago. I believe I could settle that thing in 24 hours. I think I could. I really do. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top name. I don't understand how a neutral suggestion about something that you've expressed an interest in uh, is aiding and abetting. Section 230 helped create the internet as we know it. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. President Biden addresses the world from Poland after planting a flag in Ukraine. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as Vladimir Putin pulls out of the START nuclear treaty. We'll dig into the challenges that will come with a second year of war. In a conversation with Kurt Volker, former U.S. ambassador to NATO, former special representative, for Ukraine negotiations. Section 230 gets its day before the Supreme Court twice, kind of. We'll explore the two cases that are related with Bloomberg's Greg Store. And as Donald Trump steps up attacks on Ron DeSantis, we'll have analysis from our signature panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano back with us off the long weekend. The optics were prime for President Biden's address today in Poland. He stood before the Royal Castle Gardens in Warsaw before a crowd of 30,000. Listen. One year ago, the world was bracing for the fall of Kiev. Well, I've just come from a visit to Kiev, and I can report Kiev stands strong. Kiev stands proud. It stands tall. And most important, it stands free. The speech you have to see and hear in context, of course, a year later, recalling the doubts that existed a year ago, rightfully, on both sides of the conflict. Remember, this was going to be done in five days or less. Here's the president again. One year, into, one year into this war, Putin no longer doubts the strength of our coalition. But he still doubts our conviction. He doubts our staying power. He doubts our continued support for Ukraine. He doubts whether NATO can remain unified. But there should be no doubt. Our support for Ukraine will not waver. NATO will not be divided and we will not tire. And with the first anniversary of the war set for Friday, we have a conversation with Kurt Volker, the former U.S. special representative for Ukraine negotiations and former U.S. ambassador to NATO. 
Mr. Ambassador, it's great to have you back here. And I'd like to just start simply with your impressions of the speech today. The stakes are high here, both domestically and abroad, coming a day off the president's surprise trip to Kiev. How did it hit you? Very happy to see the president's visit to Kiev and the forceful tone of his remarks today. Uh, he is clearly staking uh, United States prestige and cre- credibility on Ukraine's success here in this conflict, which is very important. Um, that being said, uh, we need to see the follow through on this. Mm. Uh, so much of the speech sounded like we we're already declaring victory that, you know, OK, we've succeeded here. But the war is far from over. Russia is still recruiting people and throwing them at the front line. We have not given the Ukrainians the longest range munitions that they need. We've not given them any aircraft. There's a long way to go. But I hope that on the strength of the president's visit and his remarks, that the administration now lifts the remaining restrictions that we have on our aid to Ukraine. We don't have any indication of that. Is it going to take another year to be talking about F-16s in Ukraine? Uh, Let's certainly hope not, because time is of the essence. Uh, I I think there's a danger of complacency that because Ukraine is still standing one year on, that, gee, we did everything right. When, in fact, I think we should look back at the last year and say we made a lot of mistakes. Hmm. We said that we weren't going to supply certain things, and then we changed our minds and did it, but did it late. Uh, We didn't have enough investment in our production capacity, which we could have done as well. Um, Even things like training uh, fighter pilots so that they could fly on F-16s. We're going to start that now, but we should have started that a year ago. Hmm. Um, now, that being said, we, since we haven't started yet, we should start now, but we should be looking at how we can move these things much faster. The Ukrainians are losing a lot of lives as well. You mentioned the Russian casualties, which are huge, but they also have more people to throw at this, and it's a dictatorship. Ukraine's a democracy, and they're losing lots of lies. So they can't keep this up for months on end. They, they need to move faster. Well, you know, we heard from Vladimir Putin today. We're obviously seeing massive coverage of Joe Biden's speech here in America. But Putin delivered his first state of the nation address uh, in two years earlier today. Let's uh, fire up the music and do it right. Mm-hmm. Yep. The full pomp and circumstance as he addressed a nation at war. Good and actually made some news uh, to our benefit here, uh, halting the uh, the New START treaty, pull, basically suspending uh, Russia's involvement in the in the START nuclear treaty here with the U.S., which is in itself uh, a very dangerous development. And while he was at it, Vladimir Putin reminded the world that it's America's fault that Ukraine is at war. Listen. Responsibility for fomenting the Ukrainian conflict, for its escalation, and for the increasing number of victims lies entirely with Western elites. And, of course, the current regime in Kyiv, for which the Ukrainian people are essentially strangers. Okay, Kurt Volker, how much more dangerous is the world today now that Russia is not observing the treaty? Well, it's not. And we have to draw a distinction between what Putin says and what he means and and why he's saying it. So Putin was not implementing fully the New START Treaty as it is. They had already suspended inspections under that treaty. So we were not able to do the most important thing that we can do, which is go and make sure they're adhering to the limits. So the treaty was already in that situation. He's just now saying it publicly. Why is he saying it publicly? I think he's trying to get inside the heads of people in the Biden administration who are committed to nuclear arms control to make them worried that our support for Ukraine is damaging nuclear arms control uh, so that they would therefore mitigate against aid to Ukraine. 
But clearly what we heard from the president is he's not buying it, uh, that he is committed to supporting Ukraine. And mm. Putin pulling out of this treaty isn't going to change that. The other thing that we have to remember, and, and we, we have to remember this ourselves, is that it's not the treaty that keeps us safe. It's deterrence that keeps us safe. So we need to rely on making sure that we have a capable nuclear capability, a, a response capability, so that Russia is never tempted actually to use a nuclear weapon against us. Well, to that end, listen to the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, uh, talking about this. I found his language fascinating. Uh, Kurt, listen to the secretary here. Mm -hmm. We'll be watching carefully to see what uh, Russia actually does. We'll, of course, make sure that in any event we are postured appropriately for the security of our own country and, and, and that of our allies. Postured appropriately. Is that the deterrence you're speaking of? Yes, it is. Uh, and that's exactly the, the right kind of message for him to be sending. Um, we have uh, an array of nuclear capabilities. We have submarine launched. We have long range ICBMs. We have some shorter range that are uh, based on aircraft in Europe. Uh, we have an array of capabilities and the Russians know that. And the Russians know that any nuclear use would lead to nuclear retaliation, which would be uh, mutual assured destruction, but certainly destructive of Russia. And that is what, what has prevented uh, nuclear arms conflict you know, throughout the Cold War and through this day. Now, I'm, I don't mean to disparage having nuclear arms treaties. It's a good thing to have them when they work, when we reduce levels of armaments and when we allow inspections. But Russia wasn't doing that anyway. So we're not losing much by his statement today. Hmm. It was renewed uh, when this this president came into the White House. Uh, should they have even bothered? Donald Trump didn't well, renew it. What they should have done, uh, and honestly, what they should have done what President Trump was doing, which was demand that it be extended for a longer period and with a full inspection regime. And the Russians were not agreeing to that, which is why it was about to expire. Hmm. And we agreed to a one-year extension um, with no new inspection uh, regime added to it. And uh, that is now basically being picked up by the Russians saying, OK, we're tearing that up now, too. I suspect uh, you saw or heard enough of the speech today from from Vladimir Putin uh, to have a feel for this, uh, referring to the godless nature of our culture, uh, one that is rife with pedophilia, the references to pedophilia. Uh, what's this all about? Who's who's writing the speech? Or maybe it's, maybe I should ask you who, who the audience is for that. Well, first off, Putin's main audience here is Western policymakers who he wants to convince uh, are, are are facing a Russia that is determined, that is strong, that's always going to keep fighting or not giving up yeah. because he wants to cause us to back down. But then he's also speaking to the Russian people. And this is particularly important. He's trying to convince the Russian people that Russia is in the right even though they're the ones that attacked Ukraine and they're committing war crimes and they've lost tens of thousands of lives, over 200,000 casualties. Uh, the economy is under sanctions. People are hurting. The state revenues are down. And he's trying to justify this by saying that, first off, they didn't start the war, but in fact they did. But he's lying about it, saying they didn't. He's saying that Ukraine is run by Nazis and needs to be demilitarized and that Ukraine attacked Russia first, which is not true. And then he's saying that the West is against them. And the West is this corrupt, decadent, immoral uh, place in the world. And he's protecting values for the Russian people. Uh -huh. So it's a, it's a whole construct that's there designed to convince the Russian people that the enormous sacrifices he's putting them through are in some way worth it. Before he asks more to go die 
Yes, in, which in he is combat. doing. He's doing it every day. Sure is. Uh, the issue of China came up uh, over the weekend. The administration uh, getting the news out there that China may be prepared to offer, in their words, lethal assistance, provide weapons, essentially, but or, or could be money as well to help R- Russia uh, in the war effort. Here's Blinken again on Meet the Press. They are strongly considering providing lethal assistance to, to Russia. Um, to the best of our knowledge, they what haven't form? crossed that line what yet. What form is that? But as uh, we're sharing. Yeah. In what form? Um, Chuck, I, I, uh, Chuck, I don't want to get into the, <laughs> the details in this, um, uh, in, this, in this moment, but there are various kinds of lethal assistance that they're at least contemplating providing to include weapons. Kurt Volker, is this a deterrence, essentially, like we've been kind of the game, we've the counterintelligence game we've been playing with Russia to get out there and advance what their plans are so they don't actually go through with it? I think there's a little bit of that. Uh, I don't think uh, he would have said it if he didn't have some kind of intelligence behind it that indicated that it might actually be about to happen. So I think he wanted wow. to put it out there for that reason. That being said, I think we are misunderstanding China a little bit on this. China is going to pursue Chinese interests, not Russian interests. And Chinese interests are to make sure that they are not lumped together with Russia in its war of aggression against Ukraine. China certainly wants to take over Taiwan, but they view that as legitimate. Taiwan is not recognized as a sovereign independent state. It's not Mm -hmm. a member of the UN. And they don't want to be lumped together with Russia in this. They also have much bigger economic interests with the U.S. and with Europe and possibly even Ukraine reconstruction than they actually have with Russia. So if Russia can be helpful to China in business and making money, okay, they'll do that. But I don't think that they're strategically aligned and and wanting to get involved in the war in any direct way. Boy, I mean, China has to understand the the implications there uh, if it wants to have a future uh, involving trade with the West, right? Exactly. Yes. They, you know, they see the sanctions that the U.S. and Europe have imposed on Russia, and they have been careful not to get involved in a situation where they are subject to sanctions because of that. And we're worried that we may extend that to include secondary sanctions uh, more than we already have. They're careful to avoid that. So I don't think they want to step in it. Kurt Volker, it's great to have you today. Thank you for coming back. Kurt Volker is former U.S. Special Representative for Ukraine Negotiations and former U.S. ambassador to NATO with us as we get things started here on Bloomberg Sound On. Time to assemble our panel. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors, with us now as we come off the speech and the visit to uh, Ukraine, the visit to Kiev. It's our first chance to have a chance to dig into some of this. Uh, Rick, I'd like to start at the beginning with both of you here. A really interesting conversation with Kurt Volker there, who I know you've worked with at the McCain Institute. Uh, considering the, the speech itself, well-written, well-delivered, well-timed. What's your take? Uh, I assume you're talking about the Biden speech, not the Putin yes, speech. Yes, thank you for <laughs> delineating. Yeah, no, uh, look, I think I think it was exceptionally well-timed, right? Uh, anytime you can bracket uh, Vladimir Putin by a visit into Kiev and then a big speech in front of a roaring crowd in, mm-hmm. the, in the capital of Poland, uh, you're, you're really doing a number. That, that, that was, I think, extraordinarily well-timed and well-executed. Um, but I also believe that um, the speech, uh, I, I think, could have lent more urgency. I mean, as uh, Ambassador Volker was describing about the need for speed, uh, this is exactly what uh, Zelensky has been saying, even in his comments to 
the president on his visit, um, it doesn't do any good to have the equipment coming in late. And, and we already are seeing report after report of stockpile problems and, and being able to get things delivered within a year. Uh, and he's fighting a, a ground war with a, um, uh, against a military that outnumbers him in everywhere, shape and form. And so yeah. um, I, I wish he could have been a little bit more forceful, right? It's almost like a victory lap and there's no victory uh, in Ukraine today. So, uh, otherwise I, I thought it met the needs, right? It rallied, uh, Europe around the cause and, and supported that it was, there were messages for the United States, uh, electorate, uh, so that they can continue to, uh, uh, support the war. Uh, and obviously, you know, some very strong messages into the Kremlin. So, Mm uh, I, I think he, I think he hit the highlights, but, but I, I do think this administration is open to criticism if they're not really turning on the gas at this point. There's something to that, Jeannie, that there was certainly the, the, the whiff of victory lap, if only Joe Biden's sort of message that can you believe we're still standing here? You know, nobody thought we'd be here today and we're stronger for it. But how could he have advanced the ball to favor Ukraine like Rick is saying? You know, I I do think that he advanced the ball in the most important way, and that was to send a message of unity to Russia and to say that we are here and the mantra he kept echoing as long as it takes. In other words, you thought going in, you being Russia, that we would not, because of energy and other issues, be united. We would not stand together. And we are. So to that extent, I thought the most important message he gave there was the one he gave to Russia, which is that you will not divide us. And we will not, as long as you continue this, we will not give up on Ukraine. That said, I think there's always room for criticism. And the ambassador listed some of those issues out and the Biden administration and we'll take those up as they go forward. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. 
catch the program live weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Pretty remarkable to think that President Biden, in the course of 24 hours, spent only four of them actually in Kiev. He was on the train for the other 20 hours, 10 in and 10 out. And you do wonder with the optical success here, the political success of the trip, is there any chance we see a guy named Vladimir show up in Ukraine? We reassemble the panel. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis with us, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Is that a crazy thought, Jeannie? Show up in, in the Donetsk region in an area that he considers safe with a whole bunch of Russian forces to say that, hey, I can go to Ukraine too. You know, I wish I could say it's crazy when it comes to Putin. It's probably not a crazy idea. But can you imagine if that happens, sort of a tit for tat? Yeah. And that's where we are at this point. So I don't think it's crazy. But gosh, I hope it does not happen. Dueling speeches today, Rick. Is that the kind of thing that Vladimir Putin could even trust his military with? Uh, I certainly wouldn't uh, if I were Vladimir Putin. I mean, like he doesn't even leave the palace. Uh, You're right. He, he's worried enough about his own troops. He doesn't have to worry about the Ukrainians when he goes to the front. He's got to worry about getting shot from behind. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I don't I, I can't imagine it even pays for him to do that. Right. I mean, his whole propaganda spiel that we you know heard this week is is based on, you know, uh, the 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 that this Ukrainian horde and you know, back by the West are trying to invade Russia. So yeah, right. I'm not sure if he goes to the front. What does he say to people? Right. Because they're the ones who are in Ukraine. Um, he could walk around topless or something, I guess. But um, Russell was a tiger. Yeah, that's the, exactly. I mean, he, you know, he knows how to do this type of thing. But to your point, it's probably just not possible to secure him uh, even with his own people, which is remarkable to consider. Rick, the trip as a whole, though, are you calling a success. It was mapped out over the course of months and it was pulled off with with some real precision. Most Americans woke up to these images of Joe Biden walking through the square with President Zelensky. Yeah, this is what the American public wants to see a president do, right? Uh, be a world leader, uh, show that the United States is relevant in capitals around the world, uh, give a clear message to the American people and to the rest of the world of our intentions. Uh, and, and I think that that from certainly a domestic consumption, it was terrific. Right. And uh, as Ambassador Volker said in, in the comments, there are, are things this administration can be doing better. But in this case, the optics of uh, blocking and tackling against the Putin propaganda, they did very well. And they showed uh, uh, during the uh, Munich Security Forum, which happened right as the uh, president was traveling through Ukraine uh, to visit uh, Zelensky. Uh, was just another example of a of a, a rally of U.S. opinion makers, mm -hmm. uh, senators, congressmen, cabinet officials, uh, uh, all in lockstep uh, with their European counterparts about what needs to be done to support Ukraine. So, yeah, you don't get many weeks like this in this White House. They're used to dealing with one disaster after another, sure. but I'd say they, they kept on message, they executed flawlessly, and uh, at least as far as we could see, and and that is what uh, I think the American public will give him credit for and and maybe even help with some of his competency numbers, because to pull mm -hmm. off a trip like this is not easy. Uh, and I'd say, you know, the new chief of staff science is going to get some attaboys yeah. on this, regardless of whether yeah. or not he was particularly involved. 
it, it, it is a sea change in the opinion of what the White House has been able to accomplish. Well, anything that this president does or any president uh, does, Jeannie will be criticized. And Joe Biden is getting criticism for just for going from some Republicans, including Donald Trump and from some officials in Ohio. I don't know if you heard about this, but there I mean, there's been a little bit of a chorus on Twitter that he cares more is the message about Ukraine than he does uh, people in his own country. Uh, listen, uh, listen to the mayor of East Palestine. He's talking on Fox about hearing about uh, Joe Biden showing up in Ukraine. This is Mayor Trent Conway, who you've probably seen if you've watched any stories or or seen images of the story. He, you know, he's the mayor. He's been the face of this thing, a bearded man who was very upset to hear the news. Listen, absolutely. That was the biggest slap in the face that tells you right now he doesn't care about us. So agreed. Uh, he can send every agency he wants to. But uh I found that out this morning in one of the briefings that he was in the Ukraine giving millions of dollars away to people over there, not to us. And I'm furious. On so, President's Day in our yeah, country. Yeah, President's Day in our country. He's he's uh, over in Ukraine. So that tells you what kind of guy he is. Well, a lot of people do think they know what kind of guy he is because of the trip. And they're not thinking it the same way as Mayor Trent Conway. Genie, is this just like par for the course of being in politics or something that this president needs to consider. They do need to consider it. And, you know, this is why he has a cabinet. And this is why Pete Buttigieg, amongst others, has been criticized for waiting 10 days to publicly talk about the train derailment. Um, You know, the president should be allowed to be, you know, overseas doing the work of our foreign policy and also addressing domestic issues. He is one person. He can't be in two places at once, but Mm -hmm. he has a team of people that can be there. And so he does need to think about this. But this chorus we are hearing from people, you know, accepting the mayor, we are hearing from people like Andy Biggs, Marjorie Taylor Greene and others. And and that is, you know, speaking to the far right MAGA wing of the Republican Party. By and large, Republicans have supported what the president is doing over in the Ukraine. He got very high marks for a very difficult trip. He will come home and he will have to address these and other domestic issues which American people care about. And he's the one who has to make the case why it matters what happens in the Ukraine. That is on him and his administration. And this trip helped him do that. But he's got to come home Mm. and show he could do two things at once. How does the president answer criticism like that, Rick, or should he? Uh, Look, I don't think he would directly address that. I think he will look for opportunities to do something symbolic, either, you know, uh, going there or uh, doing something out of the Oval Office that uh, supports the cause that they have in, in East Palestine. But I would say, um, you know, the jury's kind of out on what is happening there, right? I mean, you've got all these experts finding uh, little to no um, uh, toxicity in the air and the land and the water, and yet you've got uh, uh, residents there who are obviously under a lot of stress. And, yes. and so uh, the last thing you would want the president to do is get in the middle of that and actually not know what to say, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, is he going to undermine the work of the EPA and the CDC and, you know, the the regulatory agencies that are there trying to determine what is it that's going on? Uh, Or is he going to look uncaring to the people of East Palestine by um, siding with the government? So uh, I think he needs to have actually some clarity around the situation before you throw him in the middle of it. The thing is, if it's not this, it's something else. We we heard a similar refrain about uh, that, that he would go to uh, to Poland before he goes to the border. You know, there's there's typically 
something out there to illustrate the argument that he cares more about Ukraine for some reason than he does Americans, Rick? Yeah, look, I mean, you know, the president took a long time to go to the border and there's obviously a, uh, a a massive crisis that has been occurring there since his presidency. So yeah. you got to prioritize these things and, 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 and or be willing to take the heat. I think in this one, uh, you know, they're strike. They're probably going to take a look at this and say, okay, you know, we got a mayor who's mad at us and, you know, we got to do as much as we can for those people, both economically and, mm-hmm. and physically. And, and, and I, and from what I can tell, the government is pouring resources into there. Um, and so the cost per person in East Palestine is going to be chalked up to being pretty high. Uh, but hmm. at the end of the day, until you solve the problem, you're still under scrutiny. Um, right. But it's a priority setting exercise and, and, and you pay the price because you cannot replicate the president's time anywhere but in one location. And I would say if you look at the importance that this week has been to uh, a huge struggle against a tyrant in um, in 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 the Kremlin, uh, I think he it was well spent doing what he mm-hmm. did, and, and I don't think anybody in this administration is going to look over their shoulder as to whether or not they right. should have been in East Palestine. Well, they seem a little tough to, to be comparing, to be honest with you. But listen to Mayor Trent Conway again. He, he came off the horse a bit today uh, at a news conference that was being held with the governors of Pennsylvania and Ohio. He says that the president actually is welcome in East Palestine. He is more welcome to come if he wants to come. Uh, I was very frustrated last night. If you're talking about the comments I made last night, I was very frustrated. And, you know, I stand by those comments. But, um, yeah, if he wants to come, he's welcome. Jeannie, who got to him? Well, you know, I think he realizes that he is rightly frustrated. The people that he represents are frustrated. But I give him credit for coming out and saying that he understands that the frustration led him to say these things. He stands by him, but he would welcome the president. And of course, they would welcome the president. But that said, you know, you just made the right point, Joe. It's comparing apples and oranges. The president does need to address what is going on in Ukraine. And he can do that while the administration also tends to a serious issue for the people who were, you know, hurt by this train derailment and continue to be victimized by this. But again, he has cabinet officials and Secretary Buttigieg is the one on the front lines of this. And he is trying to step up now, but he's been called out for being a bit late on that. That's where the focus should be. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 5 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Section 230 at last gets its day in court. Well, sort of, with two cases, one today, another tomorrow. So two days in court before the Supreme Court involving the liability of Internet companies when it comes to third-party content. We've talked about... Section 230, it's a big topic on talk radio and on cable news. And before the Supreme Court, there's a case today involving Google, tomorrow involving Twitter. A couple of headlines on the terminal here uh, will help you understand, help to illustrate what you need to know about today. Supreme Court wary about lawsuits against Internet companies. The justices are concerned here about unleashing a deluge of lawsuits, as Greg Storr writes on the terminal. The court hearing its first of two cases on the legal shield known as Section 230. Here's another headline. Justice is confused by lawyers' argument on online legal shield. Indeed, Justice Clarence Thomas helped to illustrate that as he addressed a lawyer for the family of 
what was the only American killed in the terror attacks in Paris in 2015. That's the case. This, the family wants permission to sue YouTube parent Google for what they say is helping to spread ISIS propaganda videos and allegedly radicalize the terrorists who gunned down their daughter. It's a little bit of a long walk, but that is the association. Listen to Justice Thomas. I don't understand how a neutral suggestion about something that you've expressed an interest in uh, is aiding and abetting. I just don't I don't understand it. Remembering that that's the way this works, right? When you go on YouTube, you go to Google, you search stuff, then you see related videos. You go to search something on YouTube again, you see related content. Maybe it's a hobby of yours. Maybe it's a topic that you're researching. Listen to Justice Thomas one more time. I'm trying to get you to explain to us how something that is standard on YouTube for virtually anything that you have an interest in suddenly amounts to aiding and abetting because you're in the ISIS category. Let's bring in Greg Storr for some help on this and a bit of translation that he's always so good at. Bloomberg Supreme Court reporter Greg Storr, uh, welcome back here. Am I doing okay for starters? Because some see this as as a as kind of a, a vague connection between the the murder of an American in Paris and Section 230. Yeah, you know, it is a confusing case in a lot of respects. And certainly there was some of that evident in the courtroom today as the justices, mm-hmm. especially with the lawyer for the family, repeatedly said they were confused by it. Let, let, let me try to break it down this way. Um, what you just said there, Joe, about the connection between uh, social media and this this terrorist attack, and and suggesting that maybe the connection is too ter- is too tenuous. That is more of an issue that they're supposed to get into in tomorrow's case. Mm-hmm. Uh, the case that they heard today was, you know, e- even if the connection kind of even if that connection was was, was clear enough, uh, is this shield that Congress created in 1996 going to keep social media companies from being sued anyway? Uh, today, as I mentioned, it's Google. Tomorrow, it's Twitter. How how will that case be different from what we heard today? So it, tomorrow's case is not formally about Section 230. It will certainly mm-hmm. be in the background. I'm sure it will come up. Um, it, it, that case, it, you know, the, the claims of two different terrorist attacks that, that are at issue in the, in the case. Uh, but essentially, the claims are, are are basically the same, which is under a law known as the Anti-Terrorist Act. The, the families say the social media companies uh, didn't do enough uh, to, to, to keep uh, terrorist videos from uh, being spread around and seen on their platforms. And uh, the, the, the case tomorrow will focus more on that law, the Anti-Terrorist Act, and less on this big, broad shield of, of Section 230, which the justices today suggested they were pretty wary of of. of of uh, carving much of a hole in because it, uh, internet companies, tech companies really credit Section 230 for the, the growth of the modern internet. So how would this affect potentially then Section 230 if you put these two days together? I mean, will the ruling directly affect Section 230 or would that prompt some further um, uh, action maybe by Congress based on what they hear from the Supreme Court? Yeah, it, it might be more the latter. So 
the way I think of these two cases is that the social media companies just need to win one of the two of them in order to win the cases that are before the Supreme Court. They don't have to win both of them. Now, they would like a big ruling on Section 230. They want to reinforce that shield, which basically says – so basically Section 230 says you can't be sued – uh, for third-party content. It's, if all you're doing is, is hosting this platform and somebody posts something that's defamatory or you know, hate speech that leads to something bad happening, you're not responsible for that. And, and kind of the question in the, in the Section 230 case before the court is, well, how about if the social media companies are actively recommending, hey, look at this post? Mm-hmm. Social media companies say that's not really what we're doing. Um, they, they want a bigger, broader ruling because they want a shield from those claims that they are recommending things online. It's possible, however, that the court won't actually give them that. They'll give them much, something much narrower, just focused on terrorism. You expect uh, a ruling by late June, is that right? Yeah, this feels like one that's going to be near the end of the court's term, which which is usually at the end of June. Yeah. Boy, great, great help, as always. Greg Storr, thank you so much. Bloomberg Supreme Court reporter. And we'll play it to the panel here. Uh, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, we've talked about Section 230 before. Never thought it would be necessarily before the Supreme Court in this case. We thought maybe new rules of the road would be written. Is that how this is going to end anyway, Rick? And, and, and companies might have to cough up the algorithm or something that we're not seeing now? Yeah, I think that if uh, the Supreme Court has enough uh, interest in it to take it up, uh, you, you know Congress is already itching to try and figure out mm-hmm. what their piece of this pie is. And, and, and that is the problem for Congress, right? Everyone has a sort of different take on it. There's no question there's unanimity around Republicans and Democrats wanting to get their ounce of flesh from the big tech companies. But there's not uh, that much consensus around how you actually extract that. And Section 230 is, I think, the holy grail for Congress. They, uh, there's a lot of interest in uh, meddling with that. But there's also a lot of fear that if you don't do it right, uh, it could really uh, dramatically affect uh, a huge portion of our economy. Yeah. And so um, uh, that fear is what has kept anything from happening to date. Not sure that's going to last over time. Even Clarence Thomas, Jeannie, who has said previously he thinks it's time to revisit 230, question today, at least in today and tomorrow could be different based on the nuances of these two cases, whether it makes sense to hold YouTube accountable uh, for its algorithms, even though the company applied them uh, neutrally to all kinds of videos. And that was the point here, as he, he, he asked, you heard him a minute ago. I mean, I, obviously, ISIS is horrible, but what about the fact that it's ISIS makes this case different? Yeah, that's right. And, you know, one of the reluctances we see on the part of the court, particularly and not exclusively on the conservative side, is Congress was pretty clear when it enacted 230. If it's going to be changed, the question in my mind, at least, is is the court we want to change it or Congress? This is the role of Congress. They need to change the law. And as you were just talking about, this is 1996. The economic model these companies were using has changed (laughs) dramatically, as has everything else about the internet. So it's Congress who cannot drop the ball here. So I think that's a big part of what the court is going to do. And I agree completely with with Greg that it's probably going to be a more, if anything, a more narrow focus on the terrorism portion of this and not a large attack on 230. What were you doing then? Ask Jeeves or Alta Vista, Jeannie? Um, I was asked Jeeves. (laughs) (laughs) Jeeves was more fun, Rick. I think we can agree. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. 
they're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 5 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app, or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington, back off the long weekend with our signature panel, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. As Donald Trump uh, gets back out there, held an event over the weekend in Florida, and as he's watching Joe Biden make his way to Poland and even show up in Kiev. He says the president has it all wrong, that the war never would have happened if he had been president. And as you'll hear now, he could fix this thing within hours. Listen, it would have never happened. Now, with that being said, it did happen. I believe I could settle that thing in 24 hours. I think I could. I really do. I really do. 24 hours. And continuing to pour money in is delaying everything. It's delaying a lot of settlement. It's delaying a lot of things. But It's also getting a lot of people killed because every day that that goes on, more and more people are getting killed, more and more of some of those incredible buildings with the domes that are a thousand years old. They're just laying down dead right now. The whole cities are being done. Uh, Almost every single power plant in Ukraine has been destroyed because Russia wins wars with the cold. They beat Napoleon with the cold. They beat Hitler with the cold. That's how they win. And that's what they're doing now. They're knocking out all the power plants and people are freezing to death. And it's a very bad thing. I could settle that in one day. As president, you need the power of that office. But you need to have a shtekel. You need to have a way of dealing. You can't do that just by standing and saying, we're going to get it. Look, uh, people are dying. The country is being obliterated. So you just heard... The other side of this whole story, we started the hour, of course, with the president of the United States in Poland following the visit to Ukraine. If we're going to have a rematch here in 2024, that's what you're going to be hearing on the other side of the argument. With final thoughts from our panel, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. Rick, can Donald Trump continue that argument and still get elected? 
well, I think Donald Trump has fundamental issues with getting elected to begin with, and this argument isn't helping him, both within the Republican Party, but also within the general electorate. Uh, you know, he is really representing the sort of Putin wing of the Republican Party right now, and it is a small uh, and out-of-touch group of people. And mm. so uh, I'm not really sure he's always been this way, even when he was president of the United States. Uh, he, he loves to uh, cuddle up to the, uh, uh, the dictators of the world, and in this case, he hasn't changed his tune at all when it comes to uh, flattering Vladimir Putin. The idea that, you know, Putin is winning this war— uh, he may be the only one on the face of the earth who actually believes that. Even Putin doesn't believe that. <laughs> wow. Listen to him uh, with regard to 24 here, uh, Jeannie, and his most recent attack on the governor of Florida. You know, Ron DeSanctimonious had a crowd in Staten Island today. 139 people in Staten Island. We got a lot of people. We have 139 times about 30. We got a lot of people here. But I always say... Hit your enemy a little bit early. Some people say don't, but I say do. Okay, so it's coming down to crowd size again, Jeannie. He's clearly hearing from Republicans, right? To make a reference like that, you know, I like to hit him early. He's hearing from Republicans who say lay off the desanctimonious and whatever you're doing in Nikki Haley. He is clearly threatened by Ron DeSantis. That's what's going on here. Because yeah. I don't want you doing this, Joe Matthew. I watch <laughs> his Truth Social and Thank 1 a.m. rants about, Thank you know, you. Ron DeSanctimonious being, you know, Jeb Bush being his hero. And he's no longer using meatball Ron, but shut down Ron. And Ron DeSanctimonious <laughs> is back. I mean, you can see the fear just oozing out of him how threatened he feels by the governor of Florida. <sighs> We're getting a preview here. Never mind preview 2024 is on. We just need to make it official on Joe Biden's side here and get on with things. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shenzano, thanks as ever, our signature panel. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. We'll meet you back here tomorrow on the fastest hour in politics. It's called Sound On. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.